Fiction. Radio Play, an oft-ridiculed frontier. It all started when a remote programming experiment some community radio station on the central coast of California was conducting went a little caca. Their names are Gall, Moses, and Ted. They're lost, aren't we all? One of them owns an astronaut costume, shot through a wormhole for the sake of narrative explanation. Anyway, here they are, bouncing around speculative fiction thematic time and space, rather timidly going where many a man has gone before. These are the voyages of the Incompanots. Interior. Public access TV studio. Hell. Rows of television sets line the perimeter of a dimly lit room, each monitor displaying a series of pulsating blue shapes. The words, control of content, uniformity of content, repeatability of content, flash on their screens. In the center of the room, standing beneath a flickering ceiling light, wearing rollerblades are Gaul, Moses, and Ted. Gaul, shaky on her blades, wobbles a bit. I'll tell you this much. If I knew rollerblades were the primary source of transportation in the underworld, I would have practiced more before we decided to descend through the gates of hell. Why are we here, anyway? Um, some generic evil plan to brainwash all of humanity through TV, I think. I wouldn't ask too many questions. In an instant, a door swings open, revealing behind it in a blaze of fire, Niagara laugh echoes through the television studio. Full <laughs> sitting blue shapes on the display morph into fiery balls of light as Brian aggressively inline skates into the center of the room, trick stopping in front of our hapless bladed heroes. Did someone say generic evil plan? Brian! We should have known you were behind this! What are you gonna do to us, Brian? I'm going to create a television network that will become so popular that the only thing anyone will ever want to do again is watch TV! <laughs> and the only way you can stop me is beating me in a blade off! Suddenly, awesome skate music envelops the room as Brian blades around like a dust devil on wheels. Bet you can't do this, Misty Flip! Fakey 540, zero, front flip, hurricane ride. Your turn, suckers! Ten-time X Game champion Ted, primed and ready to skate his way through hell, is suddenly interrupted. Wait, so like, you're just gonna make us watch a ton of TV? Yes! <laughs> Will it be good, at least? Some of it's not bad. You know what, honestly, who am I kidding? I don't really care if it's any good. Sign me up to my new reality. I'm ready to embrace the cathode ray as my lover mother for all eternity. Long live the new flesh, I guess? So, do you guys want me to beat him or what? It would be really fun to watch. With that, Icy Mist emits from Ted's blades as a terrified Brian sprints out the door. I'll get you next time, Incompanots!
the revolution will not be televised. Don't shake your head at me, Ted. Welcome it, to last. What? What? what it will want? not not be televised. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Welcome to last refuge of the incompetent. I'm Gall. I'm Moses. I'm Ted. And this is a science fiction, speculative fiction show. Every week we pick a different theme and curate some cool things around it. This week we're doing TV mind control, and it's a movie heavy. I mean, it's only movies, and we have a very special guest. So what we've done is brought in our film consultant, Brendan Lucas, as well, which (laughs) is just our friend who... (laughs) <laughs> lives in LA and does things with movies. Our special guest this week is Jennifer Juniper Stratford, a director and video artist seeking otherworldly representation through the use of outmoded communication technologies to create new and exciting visual realms. In 2004, Stratford created Telefantasy Studios to create mind-melting mutant video and television experiences. Scavenging the ruins of the post-digital apocalypse, JJ hunts down analog broadcast equipment cast off from Hollywood studios. This treasured hardware is then redeployed to create innovative and original new programming, often in alliance with some of the multiverse's brightest stars to create cult classic public access programs, highly sought after SimSense chips, video experiments, and music videos, which invite you to turn on, jack in, and rock out. JJ's work has been exhibited, broadcast, and screened internationally at Mocha Geffen, Contemporary, The Getty, Cinemarfa, CPH Docs, the Museum of the Moving Image, CineFamily, Storefront for Art and Architecture, BAM Cinematic, and on public access stations across the United Station. United States. <laughs> Whoa, the United <laughs> Station is eerily prescient. <laughs> as, where, as well as various exhibitions in cyberspace. Welcome to the show. Aw, hi. Um, thanks for <laughs> being interested in me. <laughs> My confession is that I follow Katya, the drag queen, and, and she was posting about this new video, Come In Brazil, Coming Out, and I saw that she linked to you, and I was like, oh, this is really, really rad, and um, I'm really really glad that you're able to be here today. Oh, that's awesome. It was really cool to work with Katya because I, I find her to be like a legendary of our generation drag queen. So when she like called me up and wanted to make a video, I was really excited. I got energized by a drag queen in 2020. <laughs> so some of the music that we, oh, that I was looking at uh, included the Shredder Orpheus soundtrack, which is a- Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there's some big names. That's like all you need. Is <laughs> yeah. That actually. We also, I mean, I looked at like a bunch of TV stuff. So Public Enemy has a song called She Watched Channel Zero. I guess this is a Michael Franti group, the disposable heroes of hypocrisy. Yeah. Television, The Drug of the Nation came out in 1991. Frank Zapp- Zappa song, I'm the Slime. Bruce Spinkstein's 57 Channels and Nothing On. Aha, The Sun Always Shines on TV. There's a Black Flag song called TV Party. And then the last two, David Bowie, TVC15, and Daft Punk Television Rules the Nation. I think you should put um, one of Art of Noise is um, Paranormia because it's sung by Max Hedrum. There's probably something good on uh, Negative Land's album where they cut up a bunch of commercials for a whole album. Yeah, the Dyspepsy one about the Cola Wars. But a bunch of it is just about hilarious celebrity endorsements on commercials (laughs) trying to convince you to buy, buy, buy! Deepest pool of deepest blue shall swim to you. Morning never waits for you, shall wait for you. You're listening to the podcast edit of Last Refuge of the Incompetent. 
What does that mean? Well, that means that all that lovely music that we curate for the radio that fits the theme perfectly and is eclectic and interesting and wonderful to listen to has to be edited out. And if you don't care, then keep listening. But if you do care, check us out on Mixcloud. The full unedited show can be found there. Don't know how to find that? Just go to lastrefugepod.com, lastrefugepod.com. All the information you need can be found, accessed, okay. This week's theme comes from a series of films that you already curated for a screening for Cathode Cinema, a Los Angeles-based monthly curatorial screening showcasing contemporary and archival experimental film and animation, and I'll link to their online TV. They have really good taste, and they just do like a block of programming, like four nights a week, and it's always just like, what you need (laughs) if you're looking for for good obscure movies. The weird thing during quarantine has been kind of a return to linear television on the internet, and like... Mm -hmm. discovering just letting someone else take the wheel and program a night or a week and yeah like cable television used to be yeah it's like kind of it's kind of i think like with the internet we're always just like searching what's the next thing i gotta stay updated and like cable television is like about kind of just going on a voyage (laughs) on your on your sofa and just like kind of turning the tv on and just watching it all night and see where it takes you mm-hmm. and sitting through stuff you maybe don't want to watch but you kind of grow to like get In something way, out like of it you're rejecting the algorithm because it's like they don't know what you like so it can't give you any more of what you like you're just <laughs> yeah. going with what other people like so this one that you curated for them not quite videodrome and other tales of television mind control this seems like something that you're drawn to this theme and i'm and i'm <laughs> curious what draws you to it what what speaks to you about it I, when i was a kid i was a latch key kid kind of growing up in the 80s and my and my mom was just like really up to date on cable television like we had the first cable box that just like had a little dial and then once like another company came up and had more channels we switched to that and she just kind of uh, isn't like a modern parent like you're not a, no screen time I was uh, like allowed to watch how as much TV as I wanted on the weekends it didn't matter so I would watch like kind of these like channels maybe like 12 year olds shouldn't be watching <laughs> uh, I saw. I watched this channel called the Z the Z channel, and it uh, played just like a lot. What Cathode Cinema is doing is kind of feels a lot to me like Z channel because you're just like, okay, I trust this is going to take me some somewhere weird. And in that time, I saw Videodrome probably late at night, and it's. I think as a as a young person when I saw it, the fact that it was like sexual, like psychosexual, I think it like kind of stuck with me because it was like maybe the first time I ever was introduced to that just felt very adult and kind of mm-hmm. scary but like alluring you know like I remember Debbie Harry being just like so just like intoxicating which is like you know as an as I grew up and like matured I like kind of think that that's kind of the, one of the most amazing things about that about that movie. That was my experience with like John Waters flipping through channels when I was a kid and stumbling upon some really filthy things and just being so intrigued and like that's just stuck with me as I got older. For yeah. Sure. For me it was um, those like Showtime free weekends and it, two important ones were uh, 
Tommy and uh, I don't know if I mentioned <laughs> on the camp episode, but uh, Mommy Dearest. Stumbling oh, upon that. Yeah. Like, oh, seven yeah. Was <laughs> a lot. Yeah, Mommy Dearest is up there big with me, too, because um, my mom is, like, a crazy Joan Crawford fan. She, she was like, oh, it's going to be on. Like, she found it in the TV guide. <laughs> she probably, like, highlighted it, and she showed it to me, like, oh, this movie's coming up. Like, we got to watch it. And it was, like, the beginning of October, and so I saw it. And everybody at school also saw it because, like, you know, there's only so many channels back then. Um, and then, like, two weeks later, my friend and I were Joan Crawford and Christina for, like, school <laughs> Halloween. <laughs> time to bring back the monoculture <laughs> well i think tv's meant to um yeah tv's meant to bring people together at least how i remember it. or maybe i have to make a, a distinction you know cable television there's only a limited amount of things to watch and you all like now we're all kind of separate but you're watching if you're all watching the same thing at the same time you kind of have something to chat about yeah it's an easy icebreaker or if it's event television then it's everyone wants to talk about it like, yeah um i i feel it now with rupaul's drag race because like my friends yeah. and i all watch it we like bet on it we just get kind of like we would all meet every week and watch it it was like the best it's just keeping us alive basically <laughs> <laughs> there's this show this british show that i'm obsessed with called goggle box and it's just filming people in their homes watching tv and it has this like real sense of like what you guys are talking about this was like yeah. communal experience and everybody is like collectively experiencing and talking about it and it's it's so good <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, i've seen it i've yeah. seen it like my i remember visiting a friend in england and like we were up like late at night so like you gotta see this like goggle box thing <laughs> I was like what i couldn't believe yeah. it was real it's like it's yeah. a british type of um reality tv too so it's kind of like those youtube reaction videos where people watch stuff you watch people watch stuff except it's paid for by the state it's better edited than those reactions videos <laughs> and you know the people are charming and they, they become like celebrities in their own right British but people are kind of funnier looking too <laughs> yeah, oh yeah none of those people are characters. like <laughs> they have an exotic quality <laughs> I think that's an official stance of the show that we've talked about before <laughs> see I was thinking yeah. that's way healthier than all of the like dystopian movies like thrillers from the 70s 80s and 90s where it's like okay but they're gonna start showing violence on TV and the American public will love it this instead is like well we're gonna watch people watching TV that's way <laughs> that's, so that's weird so the the eight movies that are curated on this list remote control from 1988 shredder orpheus from 1989 i was a teenage tv terrorist from 1989 rollerblade from 1986 the icicle thief from 1989 liquid dreams 1991 Split, 1989, and Club Extinction, a.k.a. Dr. M from 1990. It feels like you have an affinity for this particular aesthetic that a lot of these films have. What draws you to that aesthetic? Why this collection of films? I, everybody remembers, like, lots of stuff in Videodrome, but in the, in it, when that TV actually, like, kind of breaks the fourth wall or, it, like, the, the television screen stretches and it, like, consumes Max, I think that kind of stuck with me, this, like, weird, like, almost, like, thinking of television as this um and also poltergeist seeing that as a child oh, yeah. where she's like on the static so kind of like maybe this like belief system that the tv like television like media is kind of alive like it's uh more of a sentient being like it has uh like it's breathing and it there's sort of like a well like a feedback loop too you know that also would extend to like video art which i'm all 
also really into, which is like constantly plugging like cameras into mixers and and pointing it at screens and like purposely making feedback loops and just like letting the television breathe, you know? (laughs) Um, And it's always really like aesthetically does draw people in. Like if they see like a little bit of feedback on some kind of like video there, it's like feels sort of like it warms it up and it's like kind of hypnotic. You can't really like, you just like have, anytime I put feedback on something, somebody's like, how did you, (laughs) <laughs> what, what, it, it looks magical. How did you do that? <laughs> Should we start with remote control? Young Kevin Dillon, aka Entourage's very own Johnny Drama. He's he's Matt Dillon's brother, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know he looks like he looks so much like Matt Dillon, but then he kind of doesn't. He's like definitely the like Matt Dillon, at least when I was growing up, was like the ultimate hunk. And then yeah. like Kevin Dillon just isn't, but he kind of has all the same yeah. equipment. Yeah, he looks like Matt Dillon if he wasn't a movie star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then I kind of like like him for that, you know? <laughs> yeah, he plays an annoying character who becomes very like endearing over, over the course of the film. Cosmo? Is that the character's name? Yeah. I can't remember. So this was written and directed by Jeff Lieberman, who what was it? Like, he didn't make another movie until 15 years later or something like that? Um, that makes sense. He'd done some, like, kind of slashery horror films in the 70s and then maybe a few through the 80s. Mojo, what did you what did you and Christine think? It opens at a video store and like, oh, I remember when video stores and it's packed it's it's everyone goes to the video store all the time and uh christine asked like are these people is this set in the future or is it just set in 1985 because they've got the flock of seagulls haircuts (laughs) and several people are wearing like shiny chrome jackets and it is set in 1985 audience it's not set in the future Uh, but but yeah every frame of the movie is you know vibrant with 1985 clothing and art. Every house that they go into has all this art on the walls. It's great. What I thought was beautiful about that video store and remote control was that it's in the lobby of a a former or a still existing picture palace, I think, in San Pedro, California. But that it's spilling out of the belly of the cinema was so cool. It does have like a, it's a glorified place, which I was one of the first things that stuck with me about that film. Yeah, the world they're living in is like, it's a a fantasy. It's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, everything's like to the max. It's not based, it's not gritty. It's definitely like a filmmaker's fantasy, though, or someone who's really into videos, because I don't think everyone in 1985 would be like, I want the biggest video store known to man. <laughs> to be the most important place. Well, the rental clerk is like a big thing. The rental clerk kind of guy, the guy that the mm-hmm. guy that works in a video that store. That became a real archetype. Yeah. I mean, that's how we have Quentin Tarantino. He's yeah. that kind of guy. He is yeah. that guy. In careers, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really. I'm of the video store era, so I have like so much, so many fond memories of going to video stores. And the same kind of like cable TV where you're like, I don't know what I'm going to watch tonight. And you just yeah. like thumb through a bunch of stuff and like pick something out. Yeah, I remember going to, in Santa Cruz growing up, we'd go to West Side Video and they had a 
just plain weird section. <laughs> uh, and a lot of, it's got a lot of great movies in there. We got the stuff from there. We got all kinds oh, of uh-huh. movies. Yeah. yeah, my town, like the town I grew up in was way too small to have a video store. But we had one anyway because some guy got his grandma's inheritance and spent thirty thousand dollars buying VHS tapes and DVDs. It was um, probably a good business for a while. Uh, yeah, yeah, until the internet came along. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was a great source of things that you otherwise would have absolutely no way to find out about in a place like that. I had this video store that I went to that because I'm from Los Angeles and I'm from Hollywood proper. Uh, there was this, there was, there's many video stores, but one of the ones I went to was called Mondo Video, and it was run by this definite anarchist whose name was the Colonel, and he had like a handlebar <laughs> mustache, and he smoked cigarellos. Do you know those cigarettes? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. Like, oh, I went to college. I smoked <laughs> Right. I, I, I think I dabbled in them for a little while, too. But he would always be smoking it, and I was... I started going there when I was like or maybe 22 or something and I was like trying out smoking and I was like smoking a cigarette outside and he was like, come in, you don't have to put that thing out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like smoking a cigarette looking at, at the movies, but it was not like Blockbuster in any way, shape or form. You just like everything was like a B movie or like R rated or just like so out of its mind because like you knew that he curated it. So you had like every Mary Kane Ashley movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like the Colonel I know. <laughs> and like a, um, you know, like a porn. Oh, I hate a- Okay, so this is sort of part of Mondo's like demise or uh, the evolution of like <laughs> conservatism intruding on Hollywood. He always had a porno section, but it wasn't behind flaps. <laughs> um, a beaded curtain. <laughs> a beaded curtain. I think it had to be like, I think maybe by law it did have to be like concealed. Um, in case uh, people were shopping in there with their children, I imagine. An alcove that's slightly dimmer than the rest of the store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like pe- there was, yeah, they, people had creative ways of doing it. <laughs> but he got, like, he was in Los Feliz, and then he uh, forever, and then Los Feliz started to become, like, too hip for a place like Mondo Video, so then it had moved to, like, near LACC on Melrose. I don't know if any... Are you guys, any of you from LA? <laughs> I live just off Melrose and the Ray. Okay. And my pinks. Find me. Find me, KCSB listeners. Thank God my hand got that part out. Like Hollywood history, uh, you know, yeah. um, where where everything was. Um, but it was across. It was all Melrose across from LACC, and they were there for a long time. So one night I was in there and looking for movies, and the door got like kicked open by like someone's boot. They like kicked open the door, and then I tur- and it was kind of loud, and I turned, and it was Brendan Fraser. <laughs> <laughs> And, like, fresh off of, like, Journey to the Center of the Earth or, like, some movie, maybe George of the Jungle. I don't know. Ooh. That's yes. a good one. You yes. know, like, yeah. he was, like, he was not, like, a has-been at all. He was, like, on billboards, or you know, around this time. Because everybody that hung out there was, like, an anarchist or a punk rocker, like, Nobody it was just like kind of like super weirdos, and he was like carrying a pizza, Brendan Fraser, and he just like 
sat down. He was like, "What's up, Colonel?" And like he and, all, and he was just hanging out with all these Hollywood video weirdos. Like, and they were just like about to watch a movie. Did I was he have homework or something? Was he on an assignment? He had to like rent a bunch of stuff, or you just, like, I always suspected that Brendan Fraser was cool, though. I was never like I never yeah. thought he was like cute, but like maybe I did after that night. <laughs> I think I remember he I saw him. Uh, so someone posted a photo of himself, a headshot he signed for a restaurant, and he said, "Brendan Fraser, I was in the." Mummy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway, remote control. <laughs> well, okay, so anyway, remote control. It's about a video store weirdo. Basically. Yeah, actually, it's it would great. be like if the colonel was like Kevin Dillon, <laughs> and he was like renting videos all the time, but then he realized, oh, this like. One video is just flying off the shelves. Like, what? Why does everyone like it? And um, I think he goes, uh, he rents it to a friend, and then she, right? She rent, she, he like to, maybe to, falls to, What's home. her? She's a mate. Who's that actress? Oh, yeah. Tilly? Oh, Jennifer yeah. Tilly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I also that have a story is... about, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll save it. I'll save it. Uh, but yeah, the, the premise of the movie is that there's a yeah. 50s sci-fi movie called Remote Control inside the movie that we're watching right now called Remote Control. People yeah. put it on and it's a cheesy 50s sci-fi movie that we've talked about in several episodes before. Somebody's invented uh, a way to watch movies on your home television screen. And so if they put that on the movie within the movie within the movie. The person in the 50s movies loses their mind and kills their, their partner. And then the person in our movie then sees themselves on the screen and they lose their mind and they kill whoever's up in the, is in the room. Yeah, so, so we, the reality is going multiple back and fourth forth. walls. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which kind that, of happens um, in the icicle thief too. I'll just make mm-hmm. that connection. Well, and I was just thinking in Split when the main character who on uh, seriously reminds me of a person that I met like a housing co-op party in college. <laughs> he like, looks I've like had he's that from Isla Vista. This, this guy <laughs> yes. looks like an Isla Vista dude so bad. Yeah. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, I believe but he's he now... Goes... Surfery, surfery, yeah. kind of. I believe that guy now passes out uh, hand-copied uh, things about vegetables and minerals. Oh yeah, the, vegetable, <laughs> the animal vegetable mineral guy. Um, anyway, so he goes to like that artist show and the artist is showing him the storyboard and then it becomes like you know this weird loop of being stuck in the storyboard being like uh, you know like where reality keeps switching so it's on the tv it's in reality it's on tv it's in reality and it kind of like mixes back and forth basically creating like a feedback loop or it's yeah and then at the end it turns out that aliens are behind it along with the japanese (laughs) yeah not okay not necessary Like, yeah. yeah, like I get that at the time. It's like, well, all the best video technology came from Japan, so it's we gotta, so they, they got to be aligned yeah. with. I mean, they were the ones making all the TVs, all the all the good VCRs. Like, so it's probably a little bit of market anxiety. Mm. <laughs> these movies, yeah. What in, if what if these the movies, what yeah. if these videotapes could literally capture our souls and then make us kill each other? <laughs> yeah, but like Videodrome, right? Um, yeah, remote control hat Videodrome that the, the TV comes alive and it in Videodrome it like excites him and it takes him to some like weird like beyond sexual level like and how um people are this I think Videodrome is like pretty uh in line with kind of how it, uh we're feeling me I think we're kind of reaching this time period of like media burnout like there's too much noise too much news too much noise too much like uh mm-hmm. just like stuff getting in the way <laughs> you know that somehow it like this 
character is able to like, break through the break, break through that, and I, that happens in the Icicle Thief too. Like start switching switching realities, and almost where the 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 media is like driving, like you don't know which is what is real anymore. <laughs> It is interesting because it's dealing with you know the legacy of conventional cinema and particularly national. You know, it's like a classic of Italian neo-realist film, The Bicycle Thief. Highly regarded. I think that's what I really like about The Bicycle Thief is that they take this like well-respected Criterion Collection Mm -hmm. level film and then they just go bananas riffing on it are not pretentious about it at all kind of either well that's the irony is it's like a guy who's uh the director in the film who's like trying uh sorry i'm talking about icicle thieves who's trying yeah. to protect the integrity the artistic integrity of his work and how you can't make any cuts or edits for television meanwhile they're completely right. lambasting like this like the canonical classic of right. italian neorealism just fun. Right. Okay, so and maybe maybe for the listener, I'll just sum it up. It's like the plot is that the bicycle thief is like the like the bicycle thief is on TV, you know, this like the director's kind of freaking out because they have to cut to commercials. And ruins then, the whole experience. It, yeah, ru- it you know, and it, it, what it boils down to, it's like a director struggling with his film not being cinematic. <laughs> and being, you know, what happens when like a fine cinema turns into just like television with commercials and a capitalist capitalist kind of uh delivery it's funny though i like how they kind of make fun of the director oh yeah he's a buffoon yeah (laughs) yeah he's like really pretentious and all you do is kind of like roll your eyes at him it's really funny the actor and director of the film who plays the director of the film in the film and the actor in the film (laughs) he kind of comes through as like uh jacques tati mixed with gallagher (laughs) (laughs) um icicle thief split what else is on our list oh shredder Uh, orpheus they're all writer director star mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah movies I think some of them do better than others in the acting department, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and they certainly have different budgets. Yeah. yeah. Well, so Shredder Orpheus is this <laughs> weirdly accurate, like, completely accurate retelling of the Orpheus and Eurydice Greek myth. Like, seriously. Historically accurate. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> historically accurate. Except it's got skateboards and guitars. It's... You know, like we said, the the music is pretty great, and the cinematography or like the filmmaking is kind of interesting. I mean, it's it's a half or a, a quarter of the movie is a cool skate video. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Not the greatest acting. I don't know if that director should have put himself in the movie. <laughs> okay. It is very much a movie that stars its director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, the first time I saw it, I was watching it with my with my husband, and I don't know how far into it, but you see this guy like you see the star like start to he's like playing a gig, and everybody he's in a band, and everybody's yeah. like into it. And he like rocks out as soon as he goes on the mic in between a song. He just goes okay. <laughs> 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 my husband and I are both from LA and we're just like we're, we we kind of uh, we love a good California accent so we kept just rewinding it <laughs> and then I realized how bad at acting he was I was like wait a second did this guy direct this movie too <laughs> yeah 
And then the following scene, he, like, sleeps with, like, a hot chick. And then I was like, I'm pretty convinced this is director. It's also the main I mean, actor. Yeah, he's kind of, like, a cuter. I'm not into him, but he's, like, a cuter version of Polly Shore. All right. I see it. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Putting that one in a tab for later. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I think from what I could find out online, I think it was shot in Seattle. Yeah. It does mm-hmm. kind of have a Seattle feel to it. Like it the does. people, like a pre-grunge breaking through nationally Seattle, like everyone's not quite as cool or handsome as they would be if it was in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. There's, there's kind of like a... a... But hotter than Polly Shore. <laughs> <laughs> there's a tent city like set up in the shipping containers in the, next to the port, and that's where they all live. Also, the weird, like, electro wire that he's given at some point is invented by Jimi Hendrix. So oh, yeah. Oh, right. Very oh, Seattle yeah. thing. I um, thought right. that was also sort of a the, that weird guitar and the copyright of it. They say that it's, like, passed down from Jimi. Jimi Hendrix was developing it before he mm-hmm. died. Yeah, but... with Gibson, yeah. <laughs> with Gibson. <laughs> but they should have freaking like... put Nikola Tesla in there, too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it's more than a guitar. It's like a mi- like, as soon as, like, the person playing it strums it, it, like, lights up, right? And yeah. It oh, yeah. To, like, it changes everyone's brainwaves. Like, it changes your brainwaves and you get, like, an emotional response. Like, it's not just music. <laughs> yeah, the visual effects in this movie are cool. They're pretty, you know, fun to watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's feedback effects, like I was saying. Yeah. They, it's, oh, yeah. And they put cool. on a bunch of solarization effects for the skating, when they're skating down the uh, parking structure. <laughs> And if yeah. you're curious what the plot is, just read the Orpheus and Eurydice Greek myth because it's literally that. Well, <laughs> yeah. So here's how they twist it. To, so yeah. it falls into today's theme is that when he follows, chases his girlfriend to, into hell to find her, hell is a public access TV station <laughs> run by a bunch of people in corpse makeup, pretty much. And yeah. uh, but it's basically, but yeah, that, yeah. Like, yeah. Cool. super yeah, goths who really- are. Yeah, who are broadcasting? <laughs> they're broadcasting ext- uh, stuff that's supposed to put people to sleep. It's supposed to be incredibly brain dampening. I don't really know what it was supposed to. If there was an end game to Hell's plan here, it's just no. We're supposed to numb the minds of anyone viewing. Yeah, well, that's uh, but- kind of what. The, that's also like what may, it's when it, where that uh, is similar to Videodrome. If you remember in Videodrome, there's these like cathode churches these kind of like tent cities where people are given access to television like homeless people or people that need need to get their fix of that like energy so -hmm. there's all these people with like a cot like staring at the television and it's like energizing them or charging them and so i think shredder orpheus that showed kind of does that too it like soothes them and like it's very new new age yeah, that the hell is new age in this movie. Because then when Orpheus gets yeah. there, he starts shredding, and it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa! You're stirring people up too much. We're trying to put them down. Yeah, it's like kind of a, I don't know, synesthesia. Is that the word? I'm looking yeah. for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the Greek myth, I think like the river Styx, which you cross to get into Hades, like erases your memory, which is why no one remembers their past life oh, yeah. out of Hades. So I think that's kind of like thematically related to the. They literally effect. have 
a moment in the movie where he meets his parents who are shredding memories like paperwork paper, paper shredder yeah. so like i and said he, it's, and he has it to is wade exact through, retelling he has to wade through a hallway full of shredded paper to get to the oh yeah broad, that, broadcasting room it's a pretty- shredder orpheus <laughs> yeah it's all the nose yeah, I thought the the hallway shredding shredded paper scene was a pretty good like yeah, zero fun. budget um, film <laughs> yeah. scene. Yeah, his parents who are like Apollo and whoever Orpheus's other parent, one of the muses, are just like fifty yeah. year yeah. old um, people who work at this <laughs> at this TV station processing facility. <laughs> this is not related to anything, but I was watching Police Academy four the other day. <laughs> And Brian Oblivion from Videodrome is oh, in it. Oh, that that's really important, it's, actually. It's, it's a very weird moment. He's just a judge in Police Academy. <laughs> Whoa, rad. That's, you could go meta on it. So I was a teenage TV terrorist. The only thing that really like stuck with me from this movie is that the teenage boy that they cast if he was an actor now, he he's like a Timothy Chalamet type guy. Like he he's got that kind of like I'm too cool, cute, skinny boy vibe. Um, Can we say twink on a on a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like Zac Efron or something. <laughs> I could I could definitely but see him getting yeah. like a teenage girl following from being on a Netflix show today. Mm. Yeah, but instead yeah. he's in a trauma movie. <laughs> 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 um, isn't even it's it's no Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. Let's say that it does contain the line uh, reporters are like shoes. One is as good as another, but some of them are maybe better looking. Which is <laughs> what one for the record books? I had time for one last movie, and I started the t- teenage TV terrorist one, and uh, it was, the acting was just too stilted for me he's like oh, i'll switch to something else and i picked liquid dreams the acting was not any better in that one <laughs> yeah i'm really into that kind of acting i get it i just it's hard to do it's hard to do one thing i did like about i was a teenage tv terrorist is that they start calling in bomb threats to this tv station that the main character's dad is a like marketing yeah he gets him like a, he's yeah his dad his dad was like high up at the TV station gets him and his girlfriend like jobs at the TV station. <laughs> and they they call in a bomb threat. One thing I really enjoyed is the girlfriend is just because she read like an acting book about how you have to commit to the role. She's like, yep, we're terrorists now. We have to do all the terrorist <laughs> things and believe we're terrorists. The cute her her and the guy are like they're like boyfriend and girlfriend but with a thing that they like to do together is watch movies and watch TV so they're also kind of like the Kevin Dillon character they're like media nerds yeah. and they like they know you know they know about movies and they expect better of media another um, weird little coincidence in that film is that their terrorist initiative they give it the name clear channel <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> iHeartMedia Network, I believe. <laughs> yeah. But what they they Comics. um because they're such they're because they're like TV nerds, they start working at the station and then they're like overworked and they're working long hours and they're just kind of like, why are we working so hard for this? They get kind of upset with ha- what these bad TV programs are doing to the mass population. Right? Where does where does Weird Al's UHF fit into this? <laughs> uh, it, well, this is what I was thinking. Yeah, it actually that's also one of my soul, soulfully one of my favorite movies. No, no, I love me too. I love that one. Yeah, yeah, I kind of have yeah. to have a lot to thank for UHF 
for, for what I became. The couple, like, they're on a bomb threat, but then they take over the TV station and they... They, they're able to broadcast a message out to the people. They take over the airwaves and they say, like, this channel is guilty of the most hideous crime, mental pollution and spiritual <laughs> violation. Which is kind of like what's happening to us right now, where, like, you just had to, we just had to pull the plug on Twitter or, like, right. sp- social media and you know who. Just like, we just had to, like, pull the plug. <laughs> so I, I kind of feel like right now, at least the, like, maybe our generation, we're these, we're these characters in I Was a TV Teenage ter- Terrorist. We're kind of, like, burnt out and we would love to, like, kind of take back the airwaves. So what's so bizarre is that reporting on outages within the system become, like, this infinite recursion of now we're talking about it as part of the discourse. So it goes ever <laughs> infinitely down. We're still talking about people losing accounts and things like that. And it's just like, yeah. oh, step away. Just let it happen. <laughs> just like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Ian, I was Go a watch TV. <laughs> yeah. Clear your mind. Go, Go watch TV. Well, Ian, I was a teenage TV terrorist. <laughs> After their first bomb scare, a journalist who works for one of the TV stations finds them out because they're not hiding well. And is like, this is a great story. Let's keep doing this. Ted, a trope that you and I had to talk talked about or discovered in the course of watching movies that were about the media or maybe not about the media but feature the media as part of the plot is like if the freedom fighters can just get a tape to the television station and they can expose the wrongdoing that the evil overlord or whoever uh, had committed on tape then Mm -hmm. the people the masses will be awoken and they'll see that the emperor is wearing no clothes and whatever oh yeah that was in they live also right so yeah. many, it, yeah. so many movies hinge on that, and I think what was that? Kind of we watched what? for our, our feminism and sci-fi. Episode. Oh, Born in Flame. Yeah, Born, Born in Flame. Flame. Oh, yeah, Born yeah. Flame. yeah. I think it happens in America Thon, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, Death Race Two Thousand. Yeah. That's one of the like, <laughs> but, uh, and a lot of kids' movies too. Like, <laughs> we can just get the tape into the television station, <laughs> into the tape deck, then they'll see how hypocritical everyone's political leadership's being, and like what we've discovered, and especially with the Harrison Bergeron. Yeah. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter. How innocent keep... is that right now? Yeah. How yeah. innocent. Yeah. How in... It's really like, more... Now you wouldn't want that to happen, right? Because <laughs> you wouldn't believe yeah. it was real, or you'd believe it had like a creepy agenda. Like, I don't think everyone would unite over the delivery of this one tape. Now yeah, you just say it's just... like half of the people would think it was a deep fake, or mm-hmm. like everyone yeah. in it was a crisis actor. <laughs> it's just too cynical and sad yeah. now. Yeah. I think that's also why I love process. these movies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's funny that the theme that comes up in a lot of these films about how pervasive and spiritually degrading TV is, now we look back on it as like, it's nostalgically, like, it's a monoculture right. that isn't too, like, overwhelming, and uh, we can, like, come together over it. Just the right amount of monoculture, yeah. <laughs> and all the concerns about it pervading, like, all the aspects of our lives are like, no, no, it didn't. The internet does now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this was all very premature. But there is hinting, you can kind of sense this hinting fear of how this technology can and will be used to, you know, make people either completely blind to what's happening around them or at some point they become oversaturated with that and they realize, oh, everything's a lie. Everything must be a lie. So That's Videodrome. 
Yeah. Yes. <laughs> See, they all have like all the movies have like different levels of that. Rollerblade is on that list, and Ted is the only one that watched it. I watched the trailer, and I feel like I got the gist of it. But why do why Rollerblade? How does it fit into the whole situation? Well, the, it's it's all this like all that media tech, all the uh, all the technology around like television stations and and, and getting whatever broadcast media it's just rubble and rollerblade and there's been some kind of giant apocalypse right and then from the rubble rose out of this like media rubble these like female warriors rose up to like kind of start life again i find a kind of the mission of the the female warriors and rollerblade is sort of what i do i'm Mm -hmm. taking all this stuff out of the junkyard and like putting (laughs) it back to life and like but using it for different things when you do image capture for a lot of your work is it to it's it's not to tape it's digital right but through quote-unquote obsolete equipment so you oh yeah do you ever do tape capture and is that (laughs) because that's like an obsolescence problem right it's like oh what if my deck my deck breaks down and there's no no technicians and no parts to replace it. I I do record a tape. I have like every tape, every tape uh, size or kind you could ever want. <laughs> this is usually what I roll up to like record. So I've got like beta, digi beta, beta, big beta, like the broadcast size. Very rarely do I record on VHS because I'm a nerd and VHS is not a recording media. It's a distribution. You rent a VHS, but it's like you don't really record to VHS. Like I basically have a TV studio. I'm, you know, I'm Bianca Oblivion. So should we talk about another sexy movie liquid dreams from 1991 <laughs> there was an imdb review that someone was like not worth it there's not even any sex <laughs> when, when talking about liquid dreams i mean that just means they thought it was uh, hardcore pornography when <laughs> said it was just <laughs> soft softcore pornography well liquid dreams uh what stars candace daly and it's like a Videodrome light. There's oh, an allusion it's the to. most <laughs> wannabe Videodrome. That's why it's completely, yeah, yeah. And I think that's why it's like softcore because I think they like honed in on that psychosexuality that David Cronenberg always has in his movies. But Liquid Dreams, they don't quite. They they're a little more. They're kind of like sleazy. Liquid Dreams did remind me a little bit of uh, Strange Days by Kevin Bigelow. Oh, which was yeah. four years later, so... Uh... Also sleazy, too. The thing that's interesting about Liquid Dreams is that, okay, so in Videodrome, the famous line from it, right, is... Uh, long live the new flesh, or is right. that what it is? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> long live the new flesh. And then yeah. Liquid Dreams, it's long live freedom from the flesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they say it a lot. They say it a lot in, in Liquid Dreams. And I do kind of love that that concept of like completely surrendering to the like not physical realm, whatever you want to call it, plugging into a technology that you like, you just like forget about the real world, like go into the fantasy or whatever. We just watched willingly. Existence for uh-huh. our gaming episode. And that was such a Cronenberg loves that stuff. Yeah, he's so good at it. I kind of sometimes say it's sacrilege to say this, but and I don't totally mean it, but it's better than Videodrome, Existence, in some oh, ways. I, I I love both of those. And Liquid Dreams, I'd say the only thing it has that Videodrome doesn't is a dude with bulletproof nads. Great observation. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I got, really. Yeah, in Liquid Dreams, these women are being killed in this thing called the Ritual, where they're like they're injected with some drug and they have these goofy like headsets on and then like during the ritual they like take out their pure endorphins 
Yeah, yeah. Um, they, there's a syringe, and then you get the magic juice out of the person. Yeah, yeah. it felt yeah. very like uh, like adrenochrome theory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Proto QAnon. I did also kind of like that there was the premise that it was kind of dystopian, and like when you came to this. LA like city from the Midwest you basically like work at a strip club to get to like get an apartment and then the better off your life is the uh, higher in the building you are yeah the is, higher floor of the Neurovid building you get which yeah, is like Neuro a decent Vids. oh so good <laughs> it's a decent dystopian premise that allows you to film your entire movie in just one building <laughs> <laughs> The first thing that pops up if you look up Liquid Dreams on Google is Liquid Dreams by O-Town. Um, so <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember that. Ted, album. that's another song <laughs> that you can include in this. <laughs> recurrent dystopian theme from like Rollerball to Soylent Green to Logan's Run is uh, like the politically mandated kind of stratification of wealth it's like well this is how the system works and it's the way the system continues <laughs> which is completely unlike real <laughs> <laughs> yeah those divisions just happen naturally and are enforced imagine my favorite of these films was split though i think mostly just because it was so weird and there was some cool early cgi stuff going on and there's a great quote where he goes yeah millions of little machines with hands and feet yeah, the video effects in split are fantastic and yeah those are like high-level video art effects. Also, like, some of the rhythms of the movie feel kind of like internet art. Oh, the filmmaker was it. That's the only film he's ever made. Normally an editor. And when I read that, I was like, oh, it kind of makes sense because it's so well edited. It's like the editing kind of makes the movie. Like, there's so many shots that are set up that are just, like, stunningly. And then it has a really crazy rhythm to it. And it's kind of about, like, a schizophrenic. I I always think it's, it's kind of, it's sort of a heavy watch. It's, like, it's really stylistic and, like, the acting is, like, pretty, like, engaging and, like, Mm kind of creepy. But the... for the listener, this movie called Split is not the James McAvoy movie. <laughs> M. Night right. Shyamalan Split, yeah. <laughs> Different movie. Same name. It's You don't ever think of him as a schizophrenic, but if you, the way he looks, he's kind of like, he's especially as when it starts, he's like, makes you really uncomfortable. He's like, basically the, the guy that like comes up to you and asks you for money and like, maybe is like a little off. So to go into that guy's head, <laughs> and yeah, he the- thinks people are watching him, right? It's like a paranoid schizophrenic, but then it He's actually not paranoid. It's people right. are watching him. He is getting tagged. He's getting like Big Brother treatment. I thought the the most amusing part of the movie is when he in a dumpster in an alley he finds like pretentious European art guy costume. Oh yeah, he looks like Freud. Goes... He he basically yeah. looks Freud, I think. And he he goes to an art opening and just babbles um, yeah. pretentious art nonsense. Yeah, he goes from like a like a schizophrenic in a diner to like a Freud, like a scholar or something. <laughs> yeah, I think the line of the film for me is when he said something that's barely uh, like you can't even understand really what he's saying. A woman turns to him and says, "That may have been incomprehensible and boring, but that doesn't mean it's true." <laughs> oh yeah, I love that line Ooh, in, the art ga- in the art gallery. <laughs> Yeah. The slogan for us for our show. <laughs> hey, uh, the director is not the um is not the schizophrenic guy. The director is the guy, the like cyber lord, master control character. The guy that's like in. Oh, the really? That's tube. the director. That's yeah, the yeah. director. Yeah, I think that's gotcha. why the acting is better because he's not <laughs> in the whole movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
And the last film that we watched was a, a German film, or a, I guess it's like a German, French, and co-production yeah Yeah, co-production french director i think produced in part by german public television and if you're wondering where jennifer beals and andrew mccarthy went in the 90s they went they went to berlin (laughs) to to make dr m club extinction my favorite part was the incredibly german looking nightclub oh (laughs) club extinction (laughs) yeah (laughs) like it's just straight out of snl's sprockets like sketch there's a really my favorite scene is jennifer beals is like dancing in that club and she's had like she's like a model actress and she's down on her luck and she goes to dance it out at club extinction and she's like rocking it out and dancing all like punk style and then she like has a vision of just like a bomb and it just like superimposes and like solarizes this like nuclear fantasy it's a very dark film well it's very like blade runnery but sleet it's like a sleazy blade runner oh the the main character jennifer beals's character she's like a model actress or something and she's been she did a she did some commercials and those commercials play everywhere so her like commercial image is like in everybody's lives and so it's sort of in a way like like a maybe fan fiction or a splinter story of like Blade Runner if that like geisha lady the movie was about the the (laughs) lady that played the geisha lady like what's her what's her like personal life like, just like splintered off. The big station is Why is everyone obsessed with me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the ad she's in is for like a cult like resort, but the ad somehow makes people kill themselves. So there's this right. huge suicide. It's like rash. hacked or something. The signal. Yeah. It's like a remake of a Fritz Lang film. Or right? it's like sort of a sequel to like Dr. Mabuse. Though oh, the yeah, doctor yeah. isn't named Mabuse so. in this. But... No, but it's close yeah. to Mabuse. Yeah. It's like. Like, kind of uh, doing what the icicle thief does for sure where it's kind of taking a classic cinema storyline and like modernizing it or playing playing with the world like tripping it out a little bit it's set in a still but berlin but it feels kind of like a post-cold war sort of end of history movie where like everything's over so might as well just kill ourselves now <laughs> 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 I was getting some interesting but, Children of Men vibes from this one too. Yeah, just with the the sort mm-hmm. of the idea of yeah, sort of mass extinction or like willful mass extinction. But no, it, there's also this mystery at the heart of it. And the guy who's behind this program is like a cheery TV host who's always having kids on oh, his right. show. Alan Bates. And, yeah, he has a really cool like layer with like his heart on a t te- on a computer screen. They really go for um, it in those Euro productions. In ways that American cinema wouldn't wouldn't well, do. They, they make you think that there really are or were all of these uh, like underground gambling parlors, stroke uh, television <laughs> studio. Well, not really, but like yeah, yeah. the office overlooks both a dance, like a nightclub, and an illicit gambling parlor, which I just assume is still the case. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of great Euro accents in this. Especially because like they're actors from so many different countries, so everyone's yeah. just doing their heavily accented yeah. English. I, I was confused accents. at first. I thought like because there's the two cops, and one is a German actor, and one is a French actor, and I was like, why is the French act or why is this actor doing like a really bad French accent? And I was like, oh no, he's just a French. <laughs> yeah, he's just a French actor. <laughs> I mean, also, the movie also starts with 
the very first suicide in the movie is a guy in a truck that's filled with like volatile chemicals running into oh, right. something yeah. by the Berlin Wall, which kind of spookily prefigures a lot of truck attacks in Germany <laughs> a few decades later. Uh, you also get a lot of like endless discussion about whether things are terrorism or not, but also through the morning, like the morning news, <laughs> like kind of infotainment, which sort of like again unrelatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nothing like it is nowadays. What did you hope people took away from from watching these movies if they sat down and watched them all? Log off a little bit. <laughs> Log off. <laughs> yeah. So stop That's listening to this radio show. <laughs> Tune out and drop in. And jump into the void a little bit. I think like the unknown shouldn't be so scary. I think it's a misconception, especially since like anything could happen after 2020. So just like go for it. Like don't get too attached to this realm. <laughs> and my final question. So I'm watching Star Trek for the first time. I never watched oh. it. Oh, um, yeah. Welcome to the club. Yeah. I know. So I know, and I've noticed that you are a fan. I'm currently, <laughs> I'm currently getting into Riker's daddy issues. That's where I'm at. Oh on yeah. The next generation. Um, but I'm curious since this is this is a sci-fi show. What what drew you into Star Trek? What what? Why are you a fan? Oh, I I had no choice. <laughs> my both my parents were already Star Trek nerds. They were a original series nerds. My mom more in particular. She my mom's an operating room nurse or at least was like all through my childhood and um, she got really nerdy about the medical side of Star Trek and she had kind of like the we, like because you know Star Trek has all this there's the television show but there's also just the whole world that exists outside of it so like like the Kling, like Klingon is a real language mm-hmm. it's like fully developed language and people study it and like I, I wish I I wish I had was able to know Klingon. It's like <laughs> one of my three wishes. Um, yeah, just like just how she got all into the like world of it and that kind of drew me in and I think she maybe had a couple props. And then when I was in college, I was like, studying photography and like film and it was like really pr- like hard and like stressed out. But then Star Trek, the original series would come on right when I'd come home from school or something. Like late, kind of late at night, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. So I'd like watch an episode that just sort of helped me, like kind of got me like into the aesthetic of it all. The like the way the sets were, because especially original series that's are really cheap, they're really like innovative and like, and I love things that are like cut out of foam or just where mm-hmm. you can see the craftsmanship and it's not so... I don't like anything rendered. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Star Trek The Next Generation, I watched a little bit in high school, but then like I just kind of got into it again right after. After I got into, I kind of went in order, original series, then Next Gen, then Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine, that that episode where the Deep Space Nine captain comes to like, the 2020 now oh yeah the 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 bell riots yeah Yeah, that's going like around the (laughs) memosphere people are it's a great episode um do space nine you could pull the most like if you if you need any like guidance through like tumultuous times like deep space nine is is star trek for you (laughs) yeah And if you're into like if you're like a political nerd or something, it's also political yeah. intrigue and like things to get over. And pe- nobody likes each other. That's what's different than <laughs> yeah, from Star totally. Trek: The Next Generation. Everybody's friends and everybody works together and everybody knows their role. And right. it's kind of like a starship utopia. And I also think that's why most people don't like Wesley Crusher. 
<laughs> they're jealous. I know they're jealous that he got to grow up on the Starship. <laughs> but Deep Space Nine, they learn to do it. It's like inverse. Aside, they're all I mean, different. And they everybody learn. loves Chief O'Brien, but yeah. Aside from that, yeah. I mean, is Deep Space Colm, Nine is Cole Meany. He's great. Yeah, He's yeah, so yeah. good. But yeah, that's that is the great tension in the show. It's that it's stationed by an occupy a planet that was occupied by you know, colonizers, and then they have yeah. to leave, and it's just trying to get their lives back out of the wreckage, and that's the whole series. It's great. Where should people look for you? I'm gonna, I'm gonna link to your website and to Telefantasy Studios on our website. I guess follow me on Instagram. <laughs> What's, that's, um, where, that's where you'll get the latest and greatest of my programming. And also, sometimes I post clips from movies. <laughs> Making a sci-fi teleplay. Can that's you awesome. give a hint It's gonna come to how... alive! <laughs> it's gonna <laughs> suck you in! Be, is it meant to be, like, broadcast? or does it live, live, live on the internet or is it meant to be experienced in person if possible oh my okay my dream would be that it was broadcast on television way not on the internet like you could <laughs> maybe find out about it on the internet but you had to like watch it on you you wouldn't be watching it on your phone you'd be watching it on a screen because it's beautiful there's a lot of sets and a lot of like cool cool lighting i would love to for everyone to like i would love to do a theater like where part of it is televised and part of it is acted out in the theater so it goes back and forth two realms for too one last time if you just listen to this entire show and thought to yourself, hang on a second, weren't they supposed to play music? Well now, you're listening to the podcast edit of this show. If you want to listen to the music, go to lastyearfepod.com. You can find a playlist of all the music that we play and links to the mix cloud and all that good stuff. And um, enjoy! Next week, we've got How Sci-Fi Shapes Socialism. So that is inspired by an article that Professor Nick Hubble at Brunel University in the UK wrote, and he will be on the show to <laughs> talk about it. I mean, we read, what, News from Nowhere, which is a classic 1890s socialist utopian novel. What's the other one? The Kim Stanley R. Robinson book. Ministry for the Future. So that should be fun. And, and I've also I've really enjoyed The City in the City, which I know is doesn't completely fit in, but that's a great one. Yeah. So if you guys are looking for, I don't know, how this show is relevant <laughs> to the present day, um, check out, listen next week. Check out the future, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> check out the future. Uh, we have a website. I put all links and playlists and stuff on there, lastrefugepod.com. We have an email address where you can complain. <laughs> uh, the last refuge of the incompetent at gmail.com. Remember your articles. You can leave us a voicemail and we might broadcast it on radio. Can so do it. Break, <laughs> break, break the first wall. That's what radio is. There's one wall. Yeah. You have to break it. Yeah, 805-253-3091. And again, if you liked the radio serial that was played before we started talking but no other part of the show um which is really strange if that's the case um you can check out the incompetence what what you really like boosting this imaginary person who hates our show but 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 listens all the way to the end but also listens all the way to the end yeah this person is real what do you i like it what anyway the incompetence 
on a podcasting platform near you. What's a good sweet dream sign off for for this? Uh, well, oh. we'll see. We'll see your dreams being on a screen near me. I, I have. I wait. I have. I have a good sign off for you guys. Okay. I have. To, I can read a Max Headroom quote. Oh, nice. Beautiful. Are you gonna do the stuttering thing? <laughs> no. No. Oh, okay. Ma- 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 Max. I actually, Max. Max Headroom is. He's. He's. He's kind of. He's kind of. He's a wild card. You don't know if he's. He's neutral. You don't mm-hmm. know if he's like good or bad, right? Chaotic neutral. Yeah. Definitely chaotic neutral. Um, okay. Ah, love. The walks over soft grass. The smiles over candlelight. The fights over just about everything else. Sweet dreams, encompeteers. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, sir.